Lord, we just want to state right here and right now that you are worthy. You are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Our meager sacrifices that we make, sacrifice of praise, is not even a, a, a fraction of what you are worthy of. And yet it's all that we with our broken selves, with the things that we've got going on, the stuff that we carry in with us this morning, you are worthy and we give you all the praise and more that you are worthy of. Lord, we do come this morning having failed in ways this week. We have made mistakes. There have been things that we have done and left undone, both intentionally and unintentionally. We have harmed others. We have harmed ourselves. We have not been the hands and feet of Jesus to so many who that you have asked us to be. And we admit that, Lord. We also lean upon the promise that we receive in the scriptures that whoever confesses their sin, you are there to forgive. It doesn't matter how many times we come to you and ask for forgiveness. You promise to always meet us with grace and mercy. And so we cry out to you right now and say, have mercy on us because we have failed you. But we long to be made whole and complete. We long to be called righteous. We do long to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's just that sometimes where our spirits are willing, our flesh is weak. And so we ask you today and heading into the next week that you crucify our flesh in the way that Jesus was crucified for us, that you would kill that in us which goes against the things that you desire for us and for the world so that we might lean into your spirit, that we might be empowered by your spirit. Help us to be more successful this week than we were last week. Lord, we thank you, though, that even though we have failed you, you never give up on us. That you never abandon us, you never leave us. That time and time again, you walk with us, pick us up, ask us to head back out into the mission field. You bless us, you continue to bless us each and every day, even when we fail. And we see this, Lord, as we read this this ancient story of the Israelite people, how you enter into covenant with them and they too fail. And, and, the, and the covenant says that if they keep up their end of the bargain, you'll keep up yours. And when they don't, you still keep yours. And so we're, we're learning that you're this kind of God who, even though we don't do the things that we ought, you remain faithful to us and to the promise of Abraham and to blessing your intent to change the human heart through love and grace and blessing, you remain faithful to that. And we are so grateful. Lord, help us to be that same way with other people. Especially in today's climate in which 
there's so much fighting and discord. Help us to meet people, especially those that we disagree with most. Help us to meet them with grace and mercy and compassion and patience, just as you have with us. Give us the strength to do that. Lord, we have people, situations, friends, family, things, burdens that we're carrying in this morning as we we come and we want to be fully present to you and, and, and listening for your still small voice, but but these things that are kind of keeping our mind going constantly, we want to give them to you. Lord, we're going to call out names to you right now. We know that you hear them. Our desire is that we can leave them at your feet as we say these. Hear now the burdens of our heart. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 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 Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For the witness of the Pentecost. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. People of Florida and all states that devastated by those hurricanes. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, no doubt there are some that have not been spoken aloud this morning. We're grateful that you even know those, that you know us so intimately. And that where we don't know how to pray, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. We also know that you are working toward the good of those who love you. And we love you, Lord, so work toward the good. We entrust all of these things to your care. And we quiet ourselves during this service as we come to worship you. Quiet our minds, quiet our hearts. Help us to be still and to look for your presence. Lord, we pray all this in your mighty name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, do we have any kids that want to come up? Dallas, you want to come up here? Luke, you want to come up here? Dallas is going, what the heck? What are you all doing at this crazy church? Come on up, buddy. Anybody else? Come on, guys. Come on. Come on. You, don't have to bring your purse. you can bring your purse if you want to. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Question for you, when it is really hot in the summertime, there is an activity 
that is fun to do, what do you think it is? Swimming. Yes. Is this on? Say that again. Swimming. Yes. Swimming. Swimming. How many people go swimming? Anybody? Good, good, good. Swimming is fun. Okay, now. Yeah. Going to the beach is fun, too, which is kind of like swimming in the ocean, right? Okay, now, sometimes you can swim in like a little, a little pool, maybe in your backyard. Maybe you go to a slide pool. Somebody this morning said that sometimes they go to the Y and swim in the big pool, the YMCA. You did? Really? Was that awesome? Oh, that's awesome. No, the day, the day, the day before, yeah. he got the budget. That's awesome. Is this thing working? Yes, it is. Um, okay, so what happens if you're at the pool, but you don't know how to swim yet? What do you do? Stay in the shallow end. Stay in the shallow end, right? So if you went to the YMCA... They may give you a test and say, you need to stay in this part of the pool until you learn better, and then you can start heading into the deep end. But why do they do that? Why, did, why would the lifeguard say that? For safety, say that again? For safety reasons, right? Because we don't want to get in trouble in the deep end of the pool. Now, sometimes you might have floaties. Yes, sir? Yeah. But my dad said I had to go to the shallow end the one time, and I almost sank. Yeah. So because you... so I had to jump on my sister. Oh, okay. All right. That's good. Thank you for saving it. My head was down. Well, but I'm glad that you both are okay. Now, sometimes you can have floaties, but the deep end typically is a place you want to stay away from. Well, we're going to read a story today about the Israelites. And God led them out of Egypt, and they came to a big body of water. Now, I'm sure it was very, very deep, probably. Yes. Okay? Yeah. So, what do you think that they just dove into the water? No, they did not, because they wanted to be safe. And so Moses told them, be still and wait for God to make a way through. And so that's what happened. God made a way for them to get safely through the water to the other side. And so we want to remember that, that sometimes when, when we're afraid or sometimes whenever um, things might be dangerous in front of us, that God says, hold on and be still, just wait. And I will make a way. And so we're grateful for that. And it's kind of like in the pool that we don't just go into the deep end until the lifeguards say, okay, it's okay now for you to go. We've tested and we're watching you and making sure it's safe. Okay? So we're just going to, we're going to read this story today and we're going to thank God that God makes a way for us, especially when we're afraid. Does that sound good? All right, let's pray. God, we are grateful for this story that we're about to read today. We are grateful that you make a way for us, especially when we're afraid. Help us to be still in those moments. Because sometimes we get so afraid that we do things that we probably shouldn't do, and they get us into more trouble. 
So help us to trust in you and to be still and to listen for you and to watch for you and to only go whenever it is safe in our lives. We thank you that you bless us. We ask that you continue to bless us. Bless our friends. Bless our families. Please bless our pets. And please continue to bless this awesome church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, you guys can go back to your seats or you can go to the kids area. And will somebody take this to Miss Emily? Thank you. Appreciate it. He's got it. So let's read this story that we're talking about here. Now, y'all know we're doing the narrative lectionary. We can't read all of this because we would be here for days if we read this whole story from start to finish. So we're just reading sections of it. But today we are reading uh, parts from Exodus chapter 14 uh, and, and select verses from that just so that you get the idea of the story, okay? So listen now from a word for the, from the Lord. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed toward the people, and they said, What have we done, letting Israel leave our service? So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 picked chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a, a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord, in the pillar of fire and cloud, looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So, I don't know about you, but uh, it's been a long week for me. Um, this week has just been packed full of stuff. Uh, some of it really good, some of it not so good, um, but it's been a busy week. Have you all had a busy week? I see some heads shaking. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, the, it seems like, it doesn't even seem like this, this week, but <laughs> Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, uh, Emily and I went down to Lakeview uh, for the clergy gathering retreat. Now, this is something where all the pastors in the conference get together, uh, but we have not been able to do it because of COVID. It's been postponed here and there, and so it was finally time to do it. But now we're in this weird space where the church is having this divide and we're splitting off. And so you can imagine, um, we're excited that we're all together, but we're also at this place where some people are staying in the UMC and some people are not staying in the UMC. And how do you, how do you, how do you, how does that work? You know, it, parts of it were weird. Parts of it were um, happy. Um, I, I, and, and the bishop came. This is, he's retiring this year. And so this was his final uh, clergy gathering with us and as our bishop. And um, maybe I'm speaking, you know, out of turn here, but he just seemed worn, worn out to me. I just, I felt for him because I can't imagine what it's like to lead a conference through something like this. Um, and so he just, he just seemed worn out. And, and so that, that was, that was just the beginning of this week. Since then, we've had a whole tractor trailer full of pumpkins come and we've got those unloaded and uh, we've set up the pumpkin patch, and we've already had people yesterday. They came and started buying pumpkins, and we had a double feature movie last night. We were here till about uh, 11, 11.30, and uh, it's been a busy week, you know? But at the gathering, which seemed like a lifetime ago, we had this keynote speaker. His name is Todd Bolsinger. He wrote this book, uh, several books, but one you may have heard of called Canoeing the Mountains. It's about leadership in times of uh, change and crisis. Great speaker to have at a time like this. But I was reminded as he as he gave his talks throughout the three days, uh, one of the things that I was reminded of is that um, living organisms, things that are alive, have this deep instinctual uh, need to survive. All things, trees, plants, animals, humans, we have this built-in desire to survive, sometimes at all costs. You know, if we're pushed into a corner, uh, we may do things that we wouldn't normally do in an attempt to survive. Now, now this built-in instinct that, that exists in us, this is a good thing because none of us would be here if our ancestors had not survived, right? And we're glad that our ancestors didn't walk into an oncoming train. They, they were smart enough to stay off that path, right? But sometimes I think this instinct that's built into us Sometimes that, that, that maybe even functions without our recognizing what's going on. Sometimes it clouds our vision, it, it clouds our thoughts, it clouds our actions, and we find ourselves, like I said, if you're backed into a corner, you may find yourself doing things that you would not normally do. Todd talked about how in, in times of uh, great change, uh, in history, like what's going on now in our denomination within the church. It's not so much the change that is hard to accept. 
It's actually the loss. Uh, Ken, let me see this first slide. Do you have it? There it is. Ronald Heifetz, he said, people don't resist change. They resist loss. And he wanted to, to reiterate that for us just so that we know. In times of change, people are going to act in strange ways sometimes, but it's not because of the change itself. It's because of what they're afraid they're going to lose in the process. And I thought about our story today and the Israelites, how they were going through immense change, but they were also dealing with loss. But before we talk about that, we've got to back up a little bit because we have, we have moved forward in history here in our story. Yet, last week, we talked about Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery in Potiphar's house. Then he was wrongly accused of a crime, thrown into jail, and left to rot. I got to tell you, Joseph's story turned out okay. If you haven't read it, you probably should go back. Joseph actually became Pharaoh's right-hand man in Egypt. In fact, it's said in the scriptures that next to Pharaoh, nobody had more power than Joseph. Joseph was the voice and the, the arm, the right arm of Pharaoh himself. And so in the midst of this, in his newfound power in Egypt, he actually was reconciled with his brothers, the very ones who sold him into slavery. He made up with them. His father Israel, who thought he was dead, found out Joseph's alive, and they were able to reconcile. And it was this beautiful moment of reconciliation and reuniting and coming together. And after the tears and, and we're sorry and all that, Joseph said, hey, look, I'm a somewhat of a bigwig here in Egypt. What if y'all moved with me to Egypt and lived here with me? Uh, I've got plenty of space. Uh, I have the authority and the power to do this. And so uh, he invited uh, his father, all of his brothers, their wives, all their children. The Bible tells us 70 total people Joseph invited. 70 people. Come live with me in Egypt. Genesis chapter 46 says, And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, remember Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Jacob, I am the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will make of you a great nation there. Remember the promise that God gave to Abraham in the beginning. I'm going to make you into a great nation. But he didn't give details on how this was going to happen. When, where, at what time, none of that was given to Abraham. Now we're starting to see God says to Israel, go to Egypt because it is there that I will make you into a great nation. And Genesis ends with uh, Israel passing away and lots of tears, but the family has been reunited and reconciled. And Genesis ends kind of on this bittersweet note. And then you turn the page to Exodus chapter 1. And this is what we read in Exodus chapter 1. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites." 
This is how they grew into a nation. For 430 years, they were enslaved in Egypt, forced to build things for this new Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph and didn't care about their family story. And it is in this context that the children of Israel began to blossom and to grow into a nation, born into slavery, knowing only life as slaves in Egypt. 430 years. And you can imagine, they probably thought, well, God has forgotten all about that promise that He made to Abraham. God has abandoned us. 430 years is a long time. But then God said, it's time. It's time for a change. I'm going to lead my people out of Egypt and I'm going to take them to the land that I promised to Abraham I would give them as my people. And so he selected this guy. You may have heard of him. His name is Moses. Charlton Heston played him in the movies. Now what you don't know, or maybe you don't know, is that Moses was a murderer. Moses had killed a guy. This probably, you know, when we're doing resumes, when we're doing interviews for jobs, uh, that's not one of the things that we're typically looking for. And yet God goes to this guy named Moses and says, you're the one I want. You're the one I want to lead my people out of Egypt because we're going to the land of Canaan that I told Abraham I would take you guys to. And so Moses hems and haws, but he finally says, okay, I'll do it. And he goes, but this is going to require a great movement on God's behalf. This is going to be a a, a great uh, salvific moment that God would have to uh, incorporate here because Pharaoh is not going to let these people go very easily. And this, this Exodus story that the whole book is named after, Exodus, is probably the greatest salvation moment in Jewish history. This is the moment that Jews today will still look at and go, this is the time in which God kept his promises. God was faithful to his people. He delivered us from the hand of Pharaoh. We got out of there okay. When we were pressed against the Red Sea, God made a way through the sea. And then God closed that sea back upon our enemies and their chariots and their drivers. This story is so pivotal that we have works of art, we have poems, we have songs that have been written. Here's just one one image, one rendition. The scriptures tell us this happened at night. This was happening at night, not during the day. The pillar of fire would have been the light. God's presence is in this pillar of fire. You can imagine what this might have been like. Making your way through the sea and then watching your enemy be defeated behind you as you come out on dry ground. But we have to remember the need to survive is deeply instinctual. And sometimes the threat of death can be unbearable. And so the story tells us before this happened, as they're coming up against the Red Sea and they turn around and they see Pharaoh's army marching toward them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and they said, Moses, Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you? Let us alone. Leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians 
and to die in the wilderness. Think about that statement. It would have been better for us to remain as slaves than to die out here in the desert. Now you hear that and you think, that's crazy. That's crazy. But we do the same exact thing. All of us do the same exact thing. Because that, that instinct to survive, it is set within us. It plagues us. It causes us to say and do things that are not rational. And this doesn't just affect humans as individuals. It affects human institutions and systems too. Think for a moment about the ways in which we talk about the church. Within the church, we have programs, we have ministries, we have congregations, we have denominations. We say things like, well, this is the way we've always done it in this church. We long to preserve those things at any cost. And whenever they are threatened with potential death or an end, what do we do? We cling, we scratch, we claw, we fight to keep them going. Well, this worked 20 years ago. Let's double down and work extra hard and maybe it'll save it. This thing that I love so much that I'm so fond of. Hoping beyond hope that we can save whatever it is that we don't want to lose. But we don't realize. What the children of Israel didn't realize is that in order for God to free us for blessing, we've got to be willing to give something up. There's a saying, if you're a veteran, you've heard it. Freedom is not free. That's true. Freedom isn't free because to be free, it's going to cost you something. For you to be free, it's going to cost you something. I don't know who said this. Great quote. Somebody, I don't know who said it, not me, but somebody said, you know, God took the children of Israel out of Egypt and then spent the next 40 years trying to get Egypt out of the children of Israel. Isn't that awesome? It's a wise saying. It's, re it's really, really good. You spent 430 years in one place where that's, that's like soaked into who you are. <laughs> and God's trying to like say, you're my people now. And so you've got to leave Egypt behind. It's in you, and we've got to get that out. But I wonder if there's more going on here. I wonder if there's more that God is trying to cleanse from his people. That in addition to freeing them from their slavery to Pharaoh, God is also trying to free them from their slavery to fear of loss and death. I mean, there are other ways to go. Why march straight to the Red Sea so that they're backed into a corner? Go another way around. God is trying to tell them something. That y'all are in bondage in more ways than you know. It's not just the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. You are in bondage to your own fears. You know, Jesus had this thing that he, he loved to say. He said it several times in the scriptures. Actually, I was going to say it's a little annoying at times. You tell me what you think. 
he would, in some form or fashion, he would say something to his disciples or his hearers like this. Whoever wants to save his life must lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, come on, Jesus. What does that mean? I mean, that's counterintuitive. What do you mean? If I want to find life, I must be willing to give it up. Well, perhaps, perhaps, what he's saying is that when you can get to the place in your life where you're no longer afraid of losing something, even if it's your own life, then and only then you become truly free to follow God's guidance in every situation, wherever you find yourself, because you have nothing left to lose. Maybe that's what he meant. And then Jesus doesn't just like say this and walk away. He puts his money where his mouth is. And the scriptures tell us he turns his face toward Jerusalem and death on a cross. And the disciples say, are you crazy, man? He says, no, this is how life will be gained. I've got to go to the cross. And Peter says, you can't do that. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking rightly here. You're trying to preserve something here. This is where I'm going. And he marches to Jerusalem, and he voluntarily gets nailed to a cross, and he dies a death. But before that, he turns to his disciples, and he says, look, if you want to follow me, you too must take up your cross. Author James Finley says, the mystery of the cross that reveals that whatever it means that God watches over us, it does not mean that God prevents the tragic thing, the cruel thing, the unfair thing from happening. Rather, it means that God is intimately hidden as a kind of profound, tender sweetness that flows and carries us along in the intimate depths of the tragic thing itself and will continue to do so in every moment of our lives up to and through and beyond death itself. As we grow old, we realize that in all we have been through, love has been using us for its own purposes. And for this, we feel immensely grateful. We know, too, that our inevitable passing away, in which we fall to the ground and die, is not the end of our ripened and transformed life. It is rather our passage into an infinite and deathless fulfillment. Talk about upside down and crazy. An embraced death. A death of peace is actually the passage to ultimate fulfillment. No doubt the Israelites remember the last passage through water. Noah and the flood. That time in which God tried to change the human heart by cleansing the earth with a flood. And I imagine the children of Israel getting up to the Red Sea and going, Oh, no, no, God. We remember what happened last time when there was a bunch of water. We ain't going there. But this time, it's a different story. This time, God is using the water as a teacher, as an instrument to show them they must stare death in the face unafraid. They must get to the point where they can know whether God rescues them or not, it is better to lose everything in the presence of God 
and at peace than it is to remain hidden away and enslaved to your own fears. It's better to die in the presence of God and at peace knowing that God's got it all through death and beyond, through loss, than it is to try to hide yourself away in the dark and cling to the things that you don't want to lose. The height of their frenzy. As they're backed into that corner. The sea on one side. Pharaoh approaching from the other. And they're getting frantic and nervous. And they start yelling at Moses. What have you done to us? In this moment. Moses says. Be still. Be still. The Hebrew word there. Harash. It means be still, be silent, be at peace, calm down. That's how it's translated in our English Bible. But there's another meaning for it. Karash can also mean to scratch or to dig up the earth. So it could be that Moses is saying here, quit digging in your heels, folks. Quit, quit scratching and clawing at that. Stop that. Because that life that you're trying to cling to is not the one that God desires for you. God desires you to be free from your fears. So stop. This is the first time perhaps that God is teaching us this lesson. This might be the first moment. I'd have to go back and search the scriptures again. But this becomes kind of God's lifelong pursuit of the human heart. I want to free you from your fears, especially that that you fear of losing. Of course, this message then comes out in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who willingly goes to the cross to show us how it's done. Like This is the point of Christianity. We are a people who are willing to face loss because we believe somehow, someway, God carries us through that, and there's life on the other side. But man, that's scary. Whew. Here's the truth. If we want to be truly free, free in the way that God is talking about, if we want to have a transformed heart and mind, we've got to get rid of those fears. And they're deeply embedded in us. Instead, we've got to be able to rejoice at the time that we have available. The things that we have right now, right here. Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So rejoice in today. And be able to follow God wherever He leads you. Even if that's into the deep end. With no floaties. Right? You see, freedom is being offered. But it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to give something up. That is your need to control the situation. You must be willing to walk toward whatever it is that you're afraid of. So that whether we live or die, we do it as a free people. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you are perfectly loved, completely forgiven, and uniquely empowered 
Now you're called to go out into the world and live as God's faithful children. As you go, you're probably going to make some mistakes this week. I need you to know it doesn't change how God feels about you. Because God's love is not based on your performance. It's rooted in his amazing, wonderful grace. And it is by grace he looks down on us and says, y'all are nothing but the best of the best of the best. And I think if you could leave here today just knowing that you are wonderfully made, the apple of God's eye, tomorrow would be a whole new day. So I hope that you do. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please go from this place in peace.